Good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we continue looking at the nativity through the eyes of Luke. A couple things I need to mention. So uh, first is this, deacon nominations. If uh, you are a church member, you can nominate deacons. There's information out at the Welcome Center about that. And uh, deacon nominations will be open through December 31st. And David Ralph. David, would you uh, stand? He's there in the back. All right, David has uh, gone to the new members class. He has uh, fulfilled the responsibilities, the requirements, I should say, uh, for church membership, and he would like to join us as a member of Hannaford Street. Do we have a motion to accept him in the membership? All right, a second. Okay, all in favor signify so by saying aye. All right, thank you, and David, welcome. I know you've already been involved in many things. Appreciate that. Now, this morning, oftentimes when we hear the Christmas story, it, you know, we have all heard it over and over. And today, we're looking at Luke chapter 2. Probably, other than John 3.16, the most familiar passage in Scripture. In fact, people who uh, seldom or never are involved in church or Bible study could still quote parts of Luke chapter 2. And oftentimes, because it is so familiar, we just read through it quickly, and that was nice, but we don't take time to pause. And so I trust as we look at the life or the nativity from the eyes of the shepherds, that uh, there will be some things today that will encourage you in your celebration of Christmas. So, but also uh, doing a little something to uh, make sure you're following along. Uh, there are lines from several of the songs that we sang this morning, as well as a couple others. And so part of what you can do this morning as you're going through, as we're looking at Luke chapter 2, is uh, try to come up with all the lines that are mentioned from Christmas carols as we share the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. So uh, consider doing that, and I trust that you will be encouraged as we look at God's Word this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. May we recognize the incredible hope that we have in you. Lord, I know there are people here this morning who are hurting, whether it's physical issues or financial issues or relationship issues, whatever those issues may be, I pray that you would just encourage each one this morning. And Lord, for each one of us, help us as we celebrate Christmas to recognize the incredible gift of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever felt marginalized or left out? Maybe uh, you were that person that uh, in elementary school recess when uh, they divided up teams, you remember that? And the two captains, usually they were the cool kids in the class, right? And they, and they chose teams. 
And maybe you were that person that was the last one chosen. Or maybe you went through school and and you felt like you were the odd duck. Or at work you uh, maybe feel like your voice isn't heard. Whatever the situation, it's so hard to be marginalized or left out. Today, as we continue to look at the nativity, as we look at the book of Luke chapter 2, we're introduced to the shepherds. They're a group of people who were definitely marginalized. They were unappreciated. They were belittled in the eyes of society around them. But we find this morning that these shepherds were honored by God as part of the story of the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's begin and and look at the background to the entrance of the shepherds into the story. Again, Luke 2, a very familiar passage. And last week we looked at Mary, but we focused on Luke chapter 1. Uh, that section in Luke chapter 1 when the angel came to Mary. But the first seven verses of Luke 2 give a, a background to the introduction of the shepherds, and obviously these first seven verses are the focus of the story because it's the narrative of the birth of Christ. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while, and you ever, whenever you hear anybody read this story, they always sort of go over this name really quickly. So we're just going to call him Q. All right? Because it's such a neat story, but it's funny as, as you hear people, anybody ever hear that? Am I the only one that, that hears that? When, and he, they always usually say, was governor, or was, uh, so we'll just call him Q, was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, it's a little bit of a background here. Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem because of a census taxation that was imposed by Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman ruler at the time. Now, the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem was between 80 and 90 miles, probably took about four days on foot. And by the way, they didn't have cars, so that's how they traveled. And it's interesting as we see God directing everything and putting it together. The trip was part of God's plan for the coming of the Messiah. Hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Micah prophesied this in Micah 5, verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the Messiah. Thousands of villages or communities, but yet 
Bethlehem was the one where the Messiah would be born. God also used a pagan ruler to control his promise of the birth of his son. Caesar Augustus came up in his mind with a great idea. Let's tax the people some more. (laughs) We need more money in the Roman coffers. But it wasn't Caesar Augustus who was really in charge. In Daniel chapter 4, we, we find the story of a king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, at that time, Babylon was the world power. And Nebuchadnezzar felt that he was the most powerful man in the world, and from human standpoint, he was. But God reminded him that it was actually God who was in control of the affairs of men. And it's so important for us to recognize, even as we read this introduction about this registration that Caesar Augustus put in place, it reminds us that God is the one who is in charge. So no matter your circumstances, can recognize that God is in control of the situation. God used a pagan ruler to fulfill the prophecy of Micah 5.2. It's interesting, the name Augustus means supreme ruler. But through this story, we're reminded that God alone is supreme and he is the one who is ruler over all. The birth took place in Bethlehem, and outside of town there was a group of shepherds taking care of their sheep. In verse 8, we're introduced to the shepherds. Verse 8 says, Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now the shepherds had a job that was 24-7, but this night would be vastly different than any other night. God chose shepherds rather than royalty or the religious elite as the recipients of the announcement of the birth of Jesus. Just like with Zacharias and Elizabeth that we looked at a couple weeks ago and Mary and Joseph last week, God chose ordinary people to be part of his extraordinary salvation plan. But with the shepherds, God seems to take it a bit further. If you remember from the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, Zacharias was a priest, and Elizabeth his wife. Mary and Joseph, they were commoners there in the town of Nazareth. But the shepherds, the shepherds were looked down upon. Think about some of the barriers that they faced. Because of their work, they were considered unclean. And to be unclean in that culture had a horrible stigma. They were also despised as they could not keep the Sabbath. They had responsibilities of taking care of their sheep, and they could not be seen as Sabbath-honoring Jews. There's other things. One that's very fascinating is shepherds were not allowed to testify in a court of law because it was believed that they could not be trusted. So if there was a crime that was committed and a a shepherd was a witness to the crime, their testimony would not be allowed. Isn't it fascinating that while they could not be trusted or were not trusted in their culture, God entrusted them 
as the ones to testify of the birth of his son. So we see these shepherds looked down upon by society, but yet part of God's amazing story. And because of the location where the shepherds were working, there's a good chance that these shepherds had the responsibility of raising sheep that would be sacrificed in the temple, those unblemished lambs. And so here these shepherds may have been the ones that that took care of the temporary sacrifice, but God sent them to visit the perfect lamb, the lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. And we see beginning in verse uh, 9, the announcement. It says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. An angel appeared with an announcement. But with the appearance of the angel, there was also the appearance of the glory of the Lord. It says the glory of the Lord shone round about them. If you go back to the Old Testament, the Glory of God had left the temple in Ezekiel 9 and following. If you remember the story, as Israel had turned their back on God, and God's presence was there in the temple. And it says there, beginning in Ezekiel 9, over the next couple chapters, that that glory moved out of the temple, up on top of the mountain, and up and away. But now we see hope. Because the glory of God is returning. Now in the last two weeks, we've had an angel appear. And we have an angel appear in this part of the story also. If you remember two weeks ago, Gabriel appeared to Zacharias as he was there offering or burning incense there in the temple. His responsibility as a priest, that special responsibility that he was given that day when he was met in the holy place by Gabriel. And Gabriel promised Zacharias that that he and Elizabeth would have a son, and this son would be the forerunner of the Messiah. We also saw last week that Gabriel appeared to Mary, telling her that she would be the mother of this promised Messiah. And here we see an unnamed angel appears to the shepherds, telling them the news of the birth of Christ. Now, I'm of the opinion that the angel here may have been Gabriel. Now, we can't be sure. It's not named. But it's interesting. In Scripture, there are four times that Gabriel is mentioned. Gabriel and Michael, the archangel, the only two that are named in Scripture. And Gabriel's named four times in Daniel 8, Daniel 9, and then twice in Luke chapter 1 that we looked at the last two weeks. And every time that Gabriel's name is mentioned and Gabriel is specifically seen sending a message or taking a message from God to people, it has to do with the coming of the Messiah. 
But whether it was Gabriel or not, we know the angel got the shepherd's attention. Quiet night, watching over the sheep, making sure that they weren't attacked by any predators or wandering off and getting lost. But I picture it a quiet night. And all of a sudden, it went from a silent night to light and glory surrounding them. Now, when we think of angels, we have some different ideas of angels. And I have a couple pictures here that, that may be what we think of an angel. The first one is, is this. You see that? And a lot of times in a nativity, you see an angel like that, usually a, a feminine, you know, picture with big or large wings. You see that in your nativity scenes and other things. And, and, and maybe some angels look like that. Or maybe we think of angels like this. Aren't they cute? Or maybe your picture of an angel is this. You remember him? Good old Clarence. But we picture angels as, as sweet, in some instances, cuddly beings. Now, there's very little description of the appearance of angels. In the Old Testament, we see the, a description of the seraphim, which is a class of angels. They didn't look anything like those three. And although we can't understand or fully picture what angels look like, it was not a, a cuddly little infant playing a harp on a cloud. The glory of the Lord appeared with this angel, and the shepherds were afraid. And, and we've talked about this each time. How many times, if you've been here the last two weeks, how many times is the phrase, do not be afraid or don't fear, used in Scripture? You can respond. 365 times, maybe a good reminder each and every day of our year that we don't need to fear because God is on our side. But these shepherds, it had to make their heart beat a lot faster as this angel appeared. And what was the first phrase he said? Do not be afraid. And we see here that the angel reflected the holiness of God. And the angel said they didn't need to be afraid and that he was bringing good news of great joy to all people. The message that he was giving would impact the whole world. Salvation would be available to all who believe. And then the angel gives us a little study of Christology, a mini Christology, because he, he shares the names, titles of the baby, at least a couple of them, three of them, that show the character. We sing the song, What Child Is This?, the angel tells us what child it is. It's the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. 
Savior, one who saves. Christ, the Messiah, the Lord God in human body. And then it says that the angel was joined by a multitude of angels. Now, we're not told the exact number of the multitude, but it was a lot. But again, it's one of those pictures, just like the picture of the angel that we see and, and uh, sort of a distorted picture probably from what the angel really was looked look like there in, to the shepherds. But we also, what's a multitude? Now, usually when we think of a multitude of angels, we picture a Christmas Eve service with a choir, and there's probably about 17 because there's 17 choir members. Or maybe about seven because that's the number of kids in the Christmas program who didn't get another part, so they all became the angels, the angel chorus. Well, there's only one time in Scripture where, and and it's not the same word, I need to be careful that you understand that, but it's a similar word talking about a large host of angels that's described, and it comes from Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, they're before the throne of God, and it's an amazing scene. You have the 24 elders and others that that are surrounding the throne of God. And it says that, that, that a host of angels, a multitude or many angels were there worshiping. And in Revelation 5.11, it gives us a, a picture of the number. It says that this multitude of angels there praising God was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So if you're good at math, you realize that adds up to 100 million plus plus. We don't know how many angels were there, but I don't think it was an octet. Can you imagine the sky being lit up by thousands or millions of angels? Try to picture what was taking place before the view of these shepherds. And the angel said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. By the way, if you're keeping track of carol titles and lines, you should already have several by now, but uh, we'll see how you're doing. And I didn't count them up, so uh, if you come ask me afterwards, I'll say, I don't know. So we see that the angels said, or the angels said, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Jesus Christ, the one who would bring us peace, peace through God and peace with God through the forgiveness of sin. So what is the response of the angels, or the shepherds, excuse me, in verses 15 through 20? It says, beginning in verse 15, so it was when the, angel had gone, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. And by the way, did the angel say anything about them going to Bethlehem? No. But they knew that's what they needed to do. So let us go to Bethlehem, see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. 
Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And I love that part. The shepherds that were not allowed to testify of anything they witnessed couldn't help but telling everybody they saw, you'll never believe. And they told the world around them. Verse 18, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. What did the shepherds do? Did they go back and say, oh, hey, that was pretty cool. Hey, how are the sheep? Let's check it out. No, they said, Let's go. And they went. Quickly, they went to see Jesus. You see, the shepherds were not satisfied to see the angel or the angels. They had to see the Savior that the angels spoke about. That could have been considered the first Christmas rush. But not only that, did they go, did they need to go and see the Savior, but we also see that the shepherds could not keep the news to themselves. They had to share the news with the world around them. It says that they made widely known the saying which was told them by the angel. So God chose the shepherds, and we don't understand fully by any means why God chose the shepherds. But a couple things that I think we need to consider. God chose the shepherds. I believe in part because he chose the ordinary. Maybe even those that were unappreciated. And I love the fact that he chose the ones who were not allowed to testify. He chose them to be the, the ones who did testify. But he chose the ordinary people, but people that had extraordinary character. And the character of the shepherds is demonstrated in the actions that they took when the message was given. You see, they needed to go and worship. They said, come and worship Christ, the newborn king. But not only that, they needed to go and tell. Tell the world of the hope of Jesus Christ. And God chose the marginalized, the unappreciated. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know, John, I just, I don't have a lot to bring to the table. God wants to use you. God has given each one of us talents and gifts to use for his kingdom and his glory. And others around them said, well, the shepherds don't have much, but they used all they had to glorify their king. So what about lessons that we can learn? Like the shepherds, we must come and worship Christ, the newborn king.
Now, many who heard the news of the birth of Christ responded with, I'm sure, curiosity. But the shepherds responded with, with commitment. Remember what it says in verse 18, And all those who heard it, as the shepherds shared the story, all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Wow, that's an incredible story. But if you follow along, what takes place next? Jesus and his family continued to live there in Bethlehem for a period of time before they went down to Egypt. And we don't know. Most people believe months or even over a year. And although some people maybe chose to follow the newborn king, It wasn't to a point where Herod was able to recognize who Jesus was because he ended up having all the little boys two years old and under killed. So many people had curiosity. That's an incredible story, but they didn't take it any further. But the shepherds chose to come and worship. And then verse 20 tells us that they glorified and praised God. Now there's an interesting aspect of the story that, that helps us recognize the importance of praise and worship. And I'm going to destroy your Christmas beliefs. Not, not that Jesus came, that, not that belief, but a little side belief. And uh, you see, how much did the angels sing? Anybody? Zero. If you notice that first angel that appeared by itself, by himself, it says that he spoke. But then that host, that multitude of angels, probably more than eight, it says they spoke and said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Now, why did they say it rather than sing it? I think there's an important reason. If you look at angels singing in Scripture, you can Google it. It'll probably come up. There's only two times in Scripture where it talks about angels singing. The first one takes place in Job 38. And Job 38 is referring back to the creation of the world before sin entered the world. As Job is reflecting back on God's perfect creation. And it says at that time that the angels sang. And the only other time where it talks about angels singing is in the book of Revelation chapter 5. We looked at one verse in Revelation chapter 5 where it talked about that host or multitude. But it talks about them singing around the throne as the world was being redeemed. And so if you look at it, it seems like this. It seems like When there is no redemption, there is no singing. But what about us? 
we can sing. Evidently, the shepherds sang. That's what it seems to indicate in verse 20. I think what happens is we can praise and worship God for one reason and one reason alone, because of the redemption of Christ. And as Christ followers, we need to be diligent worshipers. Why don't we worship the way that we're called to worship? Why is it hard to worship like the shepherds? Maybe in a corporate setting, what will people around me think? Maybe I don't have a good voice. Now, just a little hint, if you don't have a good voice, go ahead and sing out because what will happen is the people around you that have good voices will sing even louder to try to cover up your voice. But we should be serious worshipers. Now, we all have different ways we worship. But what's your worship like? And worship is much more than just worshiping in a church service. That's part of it. But it's so much more than that. Are you a serious worshiper? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been redeemed. And so your vocal cords and your life should be an open display of worship. And the shepherds worshipped the newborn king. But it didn't stop there. You see, like the shepherds, we must go and tell the good news of Christ. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. By the way, you can share it in the valley too. Those shepherds could not help but tell what they saw. If you remember the story in the book of Acts in chapters 4 and 5, you'll see that, that Peter and John, two of the disciples, were thrown in prison for sharing the gospel. And there were threats to all the Christians. And, they, and Peter and John were let go, but the whole group was threatened by the leaders, the civil leaders who said, we're going to let you go, but you better stop spreading the news. But what did the people say? Choose what you want to do, but we cannot stop telling what we have seen and heard. As Christ followers, the world around us needs to know. And it can be simply, or as simple as telling people around you what God's doing in your life and the hope you have in Jesus Christ. It can be as simple as, as taking a, a little card and, and 
handing it to people around the workplace or in your neighborhood or friends to invite them to come to a Christmas Eve service or another event where they're going to hear the hope of Christ. We need to be like the shepherds. Marginalized by the world, and we may or may not be marginalized by the world. That's not the important part. But on fire for God. Because he is our hope. So we can come and worship Christ, the newborn king. And like the shepherds, we can go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. We have hope because of Jesus Christ. Like the shepherds, we must receive that hope as they receive the good news. When the angel said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Receive the gift of salvation through Christ. Receive that hope. But also, worship him, the one who gives that hope. And share that hope with the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you that as Almighty God, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we could say, for God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. And we can celebrate Christmas looking forward to Easter. Jesus Christ being born to die for us. And that we can be redeemed, our sins forgiven, our eternity in Christ secure because of the hope of glory. Lord, thank you for Christmas and the hope in Christ. Lord, may we worship you fiercely and may we share you unashamedly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.